0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes.
1: All right, great. Thank you very much, and uh, thank you for having us here today. Um, I do have to say, uh, Seth and I were talking, this presentation, uh, maybe a little it's a little different than the ones we've had uh, the rest of the conversation. I started as a chemical engineer, actually, an undergrad, but... I seem to now spend most of my time on policy, so it's been a great, a great opportunity to come back and engage on technology and innovation and what's happening in the marketplace. Uh, I'm going to talk probably a little bit more about how that technology uh, works in the broader marketplace and some of the bigger issues from a policy perspective that we are focused on. Uh, Just by way of introduction, PG&E, we are the uh, natural gas and electric utility for most of, the majority of northern and central California, so that's roughly 10 million customers. Uh, And we are very heavily involved in not only the traditional sort of generation uh, transportation of electric and gas, but also on the demand side and how we can engage with customers in uh, using energy in better ways and saving uh, we spend roughly a billion dollars a year on customer-facing programs uh, like energy efficiency, demand response, and distributed generation. Uh, and in each of those, you know, we work in the policy sphere, and we work also uh, inter- interacting directly with customers. And the utility sort of stands in the middle to bring the technology uh, evolutions that, that uh, this room is bringing and help make it uh, possible in the marketplace. And that's kind of what I'd like to talk a little bit about, because... You know, as we think about uh, clean energy policy in California, California is a place where we've got very aggressive clean energy policy goals, uh, but both in utilities and in the general policy arena, this this doesn't seem to exist in one piece. It exists in many bubbles. We talk about demand-side resources, things like energy efficiency and demand response, um, we look at those almost often as individual things that are completely separate uh, from a policy perspective and in terms of how customers may use them. We also have a retail distributed generation, um, be it fuel cells or our PV, uh, and those all have their own set of issues and policy perspectives. Of course, grid scale. Um, PGE has, I think, under contract almost 5,000 megawatts of solar, which will be coming online in the next 20 years or so. uh, I'm sorry, over the next few years. And again, separate issues, separate discussions. Energy storage and utilization uh, exists on its own sphere. How do we do uh, battery storage or or large grid-scale storage? Uh, What about electric vehicles? All of these things seem to almost exist in and of themselves, but but they're inherently integrated, uh, and we have to think about integrated solutions. Of course, from a utility perspective, standing in the middle are a few really core issues. Um, obviously, the first one, particularly for PG&E, is actually uh, safety. It's not even written here because it's kind of more fundamental than uh, than anything else we do. Safety is a critical area for us, along with affordability for our customers. Um, utilities. We have the honor of getting to serve every person in uh, northern and central California which means you know, we have to be thinking about the incredible diversity of, of socioeconomic perspectives, the differences in uh, their priorities and objectives, and we have to work to meet all of them. Our climate goals, how do we achieve our climate goals in the most effective way, um, bringing the best technology to the table, and integration and grid reliability. At the end of the day, uh, the grid is, I believe, one of the greatest inventions we've had in our... Uh, and, and because it delivers such incredible reliability at low cost to our customers, they've come to expect that reliability and we need to continue to deliver it. So there are these diverse set of issues which tend to be thought of almost individually. Um, but there's really a heart of integration that we have to work on. Now as I think about how we policy can help impact those goals and the achievement of those goals, let's think about a simple question. How do we promote renewable energy? This seems like a pretty simple question. Um, And in California, we have an incredibly complex answer. Um, This is not my chart. This chart came from a report by the Division of Ratepayer Advocates at the CPUC titled The Renewable Jungle, A Guide to California's Renewable Policies and Programs. Every one of these uh, programs up here has its own objectives, its own criteria, its own qualifications, its own particularly technology uh, uh, preference. And this kind of confusion in the policy arena can have real challenges as we translate into the marketplace. It can have real challenges for companies trying to, uh, with innovative technology, to bring them to the market. It can have real challenges in limiting certain technologies from accessing the market. And it certainly can have significant challenges from a customer perspective in understanding how we go forward. And as we think about how we're going to move forward on clean energy policy in California, we have to be careful that we don't continue to replicate this kind of a situation. It requires us, I think, to get really focused on the core objectives that we're trying to accomplish and make sure we allow the marketplace of ideas to have access to the market. So what are the big challenges that we face in California? What are some of the things that we're really focused on? Well, I'd like to show you another graph. This graph uh, was produced by the California Independent System Operator, and it's an estimate as they were going through a project to look at how California will meet and operate its system under a 33% RPS obligation that we have by 2020. And so we're going to see 33% renewables on the grid by 2020. And this graph, which has been called the duck chart, and I now see why it's called the duck chart, looks at the net load on the system on a typical March day between 2013 and 2020. Net load here being load, the load on the system minus the renewable resources, which are on a kind of more of a must-take uh, you know, generation profile. So what are we going to see? As you see on this graph, 2013 and 2014, California typically has sort of that uh, late afternoon peak that we t- have tended to see. Um, But as solar generation comes onto the system in a significant way, the shape of the graph changes significantly, and it doesn't take long. Even 2015, you start to see a very significant difference. And now the middle of the day actually starts to look like more of a trough in our system. So think about how we impact customers who have long long believed that Using electricity in the middle of the day is worse than using it at night. But now we have a trough in the middle of the day. By 2020, it's pretty significant. And that's one problem. But the second problem protects even more, perhaps even more complicated problem, really happens in the late afternoon, where between about, let's see, 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock, maybe actually between seven or 5 o'clock and, and 7 o'clock, 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock, you'll see almost 15,000 megawatts of generation that needs to turn on in two-hour time period. 15,000 megawatts. That's a huge amount of load. Now, for all of the material science folks in this uh, room, you know we could meet that through natural gas combined cycle plants. Uh, those plants are not designed to turn on and off twice a day, every day. Uh, they're, that's not what we want to do with those systems. That's incredibly hard on the machines. Uh, but without other answers, that's going to be one of the key ways that we have to go about doing it. So, what is the Big U challenge from the utilities perspective? How do we operate the grid affordably, in a clean way, reliably, when that situation and that future comes to pass? Um, I'm a big believer that we must bring the demand side of the equation, how customers use energy into this discussion. I think it has a huge role to play in solving these challenges. Um, uh, yesterday we talked about lighting, and I hadn't actually seen the term Li-Fi before, but connected lighting. There is tremendous opportunity through connected lighting and aggregating those, light, aggregating those intelligent lights to bring not only energy efficiency to the table, but also demand response and the ability to shift that load based on system conditions. That is not a technology that's out of reach in any way, shape, or form. As a matter of fact, it's basically here Um, We have to create the right market structures to ensure that that can happen. It can have a tremendous impact on that system. We had a long conversation about batteries. Um, Obviously, storage is vital in this kind of a future because this is the grid level um, on an hourly basis. But if we look at the grid level on a minute basis, it's more complicated. If we start to look at the, the, the actual load on distribution circuits, it gets even more complicated. Um, And that's where I believe distributed storage can play a role, absolutely play a role. When we have a feeder circuit that has uh, photovoltaics on it and electric vehicles on it, that circuit will see a very different kind of load than it was really ever designed to, to do. Batteries and distributed storage can even that out and make that much simpler. But all of this has to be done economically. And that's one of our bigger challenges. So I think, as we've talked before, how do we bring the cost down for these systems to help address this challenge? Um, That, to me, is one of the biggest challenges from the utility perspective. And I think with that, I'm going to close out, and I'll turn it over to Seth to uh, take us a little deeper.
0: Well, good morning, everybody. We've been spending the last couple days talking a lot about technology, Li-Fi, battery storage, distributed generation, all these great things. So I want to talk a little bit about what this means from the customer's perspective, those who are actually going to use buy these types of technologies, and how we start to engage these customers much better to achieve all the things that we all dream of and hope to do every single day. So let's step back and look at what this looks like from the customer's perspective. Used to be, you had a house, you had a wire, that wire went to a generation station, The whole world is changing, right? How people get their energy is changing. We've had a lot of conversation about renewables and microgrids and all these things that are happening in the future. Very different world, very different thing for a customer who has solar, has wind, is going to be part of a community uh, microgrid. We also look at customers' perspective and how they're using energy is changing. Used to be you had a toaster, you had a TV, and you worried a lot about what that refrigerator would do to your house, to your energy usage. I don't know how many of you had the opportunity to step outside and see that smoking hot Tesla that's in the back. That's about to become your most expensive appliance if you're a customer. And that really will change how you think about and use energy on any given day. The other thing that's changing is the way that the network works. You, we used to have meters out there that provided information, and uh, one of my colleagues in the room used to uh, refer to that as a speeding ticket. You'd use energy, a month later you'd get your bill and go, whoa, if only hadn't someone hadn't told me that I was speeding, I wouldn't have gotten this ticket. Well, now we have smart meters in place and we have energy information which we think helps not the utility manage energy, but helps customers manage energy. So how they're managing their use is just changing. They're not just doing it through the utility but they're doing it through other players that are in the industry, through connected homes, through smart thermostats like Nest. Um, I don't know how many of you have seen the announcement from Time Warner Cable about their intelligent home, which connects entertainment, the house, and home security together. So all of this is starting to change and become more and more part of the real lifestyle versus some passive purchase that most customers don't care about. And so what this is doing is taking the role that we all play in this room, the role of us at the utility, and making it a very different... Uh, Market One where customers thought about it maybe for nine minutes a year to something that we have to engage in on a regular basis, which means customers are now looking for energy solutions, not for energy efficiency or for one-off types of programs or technologies. They're looking at how they enhance their lifestyle and how this fits into their lifestyle. And the easier we make it, the better we are at doing it. So how do we do that? And this is not just about the utility, this is about the larger ecosystem that is forming all around uh, companies like a utility or more importantly, the customer. So what do we have to have in order to be able to provide energy solutions to help customers take advantage of all these great things that people like you are inventing? Well, we need to have products and solutions. We have to have things that meet the needs of the customers who are buying the new cars, engaging in the, the distributed generation, wanting to connect their home and get the most out of that home energy system. I mean, if you think about when you buy a car, like the Tesla, what do you start to think about? Not, how can I you know, use this car and what's my range? You start thinking about, how does my home become the cheapest gas station on the block? Right? Very different Type of mindset. So you've got to have the products, the services, the rates, the different things that enable that. We also need to have the service model in place, not only at the utility, but we have to have this now connected to all the players in the marketplace. The manufacturers, the companies that sell the products, the companies that service the programs as well. We all need to be connected because to the customer, it's going to really stop them dead in their tracks if they can't uh, make this simple and easy to use. And then finally, we need to have intelligent delivery. We need not to go out and talk mass to all the customers about everything. We need to figure out what the customer's issues are, how we go forward and meet those issues on a very customized and personalized basis using all the channels that are out there. So what I want to do now is to take a minute and talk about each one of these topics. Um, So first, in terms of products and services, Steve mentioned that the utilities have very large portfolios in energy efficiency and demand response. We are very successful at implementing these. We've gotten customers involved. Now we have new things like smart grid, smart meters that are out there. So we need to start building on top of these types of programs, these types of services. So what you see here is an example of kind of our first Uh, Generation of expanded products. So I mentioned the speeding ticket. Customers didn't have any energy information. Now they have, uh, we have something called Budget Assistant where you can set your budget, you get a text when you're about to, when you're approaching that budget or getting close to it, and then you can start to modulate and change the way that you're uh, doing or using your energy over time. We also have tools that are available to help customers analyze rates. So when you're buying uh, a new uh, car, you know, uh, electric vehicle, what's the right rate, what's the right thing to be on, and then if you're a business, what's the right action that I should take? So all of this is designed to start taking information that was never available to customers and helping them first to start caring. And then to be able to take action that means something to customers. So we expect to be really expanding out the network of programs and services that we have so that customers can take advantage of new technology and take advantage of new offerings in the marketplace that really help enable their lifestyle. So now let me talk a little bit about intelligent delivery and lifestyle. Why is that important? Well, on any given day, we get bombarded uh, as consumers buy things. So when we talk about things like demand response, energy efficiency, distributed generation, battery storage, electric vehicles, what does a customer hear? That, they have no idea what we're talking about. In fact, it really sounds more to customers like blah, 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 and they turn off. So what we need to do is translate all these wonderful offerings, this wonderful technology, these wonderful things that we are now enabling customers to do, and put it into sort of Happy Meals. For customers into things that are really about their lifestyle so that a customer who buys an electric vehicle doesn't have to think about all the 45,000 different programs that Edison offers and the other things that are available through other uh, types of players out there. If there's someone out there who gets a home area network with the, with the Wi-Fi lights, they don't have to be an expert in all these kinds of things. They just go in and say, I want to maximize my home energy system. There's an in-command product available from Edison. I'm going to sign up for that. It's got the rate. It's got the different kinds of programs and it leads me right down the path to energy efficiency and the other technology that's out there. And then we can start to follow up with these customers on on a given basis. We don't have to deliver these programs through ourselves because There are many players that are out in the marketplace, so if we try to do this alone, any one of us, a retailer, a manufacturer, a utility, we're not going to be as strong as we are if we join together and leverage these strategic alliances. Be where customers are buying these programs. Make the service networks that established providers like a Best Buy Geek Squad or some of these other players have out there to really help customers adopt the technology take it home, set it up, use it, service it if there's an issue or there's a problem. So one of the examples that I'll use uh, for strategic alliances we announced uh, I think last week or maybe the week before is a program with the Nest thermostat. And so essentially what happens is customers buy the Nest thermostat and because they have that thermostat, we're able to send a message to Nest when it's a uh, kind of peak uh, usage time and we want customers to drop. Nest sends that message directly to their customer's thermostat. It adjusts the house for the customer, and the customer gets uh, $1.25 per kilowatt that they've dropped. Customer didn't have to do anything. Set and forget, easy as pie, leveraging technology, something that we didn't sell, the customer bought at Best Buy or Sears or wherever they bought it. It goes through, the message doesn't go to us, from us to the customer, it goes from us to Nest. So it's a relationship that Nest has. We're still relevant, still playing in that game. If there's a problem with the thermostat, Nest fixes the problem. We don't have to build out the infrastructure to support that. So there's a lot of things that we can do to engage customers very differently to help them adopt all these great, wonderful things that'll help them improve the quality of life Um, or to become a more successful business. So those are the kinds of things that we're really focusing on and really trying to put in place. So the right programs and solutions make it easy for customers so that they don't have to be an expert in it, set and forget kind of the lifestyle plans, leverage uh, the network, leverage the ecosystem, and really play in the broader pool um, because there's a lot out there and a lot of expertise, and uh, we want to be able to leverage these strategic alliances to help customers adopt a more energy-efficient lifestyle. So with that, I'll uh, turn it back over to Dave, and we can have some fun answering questions.
2: Thank you, uh, Steph and uh, Steve, for your opening remarks. Uh, I have a question that I'd li- like to ask both of you, um, which uh, keys on some of um, the things you said in that, uh, uh, and just repeat, uh, clearly this is a changing world, an environment that is totally new in terms of the introduction of renewables, the need for grid-level storage, the possible widespread deployment of electric vehicles plugging into the grid. Enormous number of changes and and also uh, to a certain extent the the fragmentation of what we think of as the grid in terms of independent now sources of uh, of uh, electric uh, level of electricity uh, by independent operators and uh, so my question is um, compared to what we used to have you know traditionally, if you go back a few decades, uh, basically the utilities had pretty much control over. A lot of what they do, they were always, of course, uh, regulated by, in California, by the Public Utilities Commission. How do we manage this uh, circumstance um, going forward um, where, um, you know, uh, clearly if we were a European country, Germany or France, there's a concept of a national grid and decisions are made. Uh, at a very high level and implemented, like it or not. Um, but that's not the way things we do th- in this country. So what are both the pros and cons of, uh, of this circumstance going forward with regard to managing the big strategic issues of, of how we adapt and, and, and also uh, meet these challenges? Uh, if you could elaborate on those
1: two points, on, on those points. That's a big, big challenge and a big question. Um, I, you know, I think clearly, you know, in the United States, for, for uh, just who, who we are and what the system is, we don't have a single national energy policy. We don't have a single national energy grid. We don't have a single approach. We have many, more than fifty. Um, Because, you know, even within California, you do have the investor-owned utilities. You have the publicly-owned utilities. You have uh, uh, community choice aggregation. You've got a lot of different alternatives and different ways this happens. Um, You know, for me, I I think the thing that we need to to do is clearly keep our focus on uh, what our objectives are um, and really measure uh, our progress against those goals. So the good news of having a lot of different... Uh, Approaches is is that we get to test a lot of different things Uh, the the retail markets in texas for example are completely different than the situation in california Um, You go to the southeast and you will see models that look much more like traditional utilities fully bundled um, Structures we can observe which ones work and which ones don't Um, and we can learn from that and and pass that throughout the rest of the uh, The rest of the country, so there are some some advantages there but I think we do need to maintain focus on what we 're trying to accomplish, and as I said, you know for us, really keeping a focus on affordability around clean energy and how we meet our carbon goals um, and maintaining grid uh, reliability is is really critical, so those give us some very measurable things that we can see how do different policies work, uh, how do different technologies work, and how can they be emulated the The, the caution that I always tell people is that you know, the electric marketplace does tend to move at a slower pace than many other industries for which technology has significantly changed. It, it is just kind of the fact. We could all wish that it was different, but we're making very long-term capital investments. Um, there is a very low risk tolerance for failure and for reliability impacts, and it can cost a lot of money, which has a very significant impact societally. So it will move slower, um, but we need to be very observant about what's working in different parts of the country.
0: So uh, the only thing I would add is that um, you know there's not a utility in the country that's not thinking about you know what the future role is of the utility in this changing marketplace, um, and I think what at least we're doing, and I know that you guys at PG&E are doing, is, is figuring out where we think the market's going, and then carving out how we stay relevant within that. And the way that we think we can stay relevant is a lot of what I was talking about around this notion of being the energy solution provider. There's you know a, a a term that's been kind of coined around the notion of being a smart integrator. Um, and that's something that we've sort of looked at when, you know, how do you integrate all these things for the customer, um, which I think is important. That's hard to do when you don't have it on a national basis, when you don't have the national not national grid, when you don't have, you know, all these things. It's hard for the different players in the market, too, because there's not, you know, a one-size-fits-all approach. There's very small pieces of fragmented policy and fragmented companies with different um, notions. The one thing that I've learned over time, especially as we've been playing in this technology field a lot more, is that we need to have uh, national standards, or really international standards, but we need to have standards that a manufacturer or someone who's involved in the technology can use across the com- country, if not the world. Um, and then that helps to sort of get around some of the issues with, I think, the nat- uh, not having a national grid is that if we can have more standards around the technology and how we integrate some of these things, it would help a lot.
2: Thank you. Um,
0: queuing on the previous discussion
2: um, about uh, electrochemical storage, uh, uh, I'm sure you both heard the, the suggestion that, uh, assuming we have widespread deployment of electric vehicles, in some sense we can think of this as a form of grid-level storage, whereby... Cars are being driven around during the day with presumably a full or partially full charge in their batteries and then charging up at night when the uh, overall load on the grid is low. To what extent do you see this as a realistic means of uh, grid-level
1: storage? Um, I absolutely think that that is a a realistic way for us to go in the future. I mean, it's, it's clearly very... It's very hard for us to conceive kind of today, but um, when you think about the limitations to get there, the ability for the grid to truly see that uh, distributed resource, to see what it's doing at any given time, and to be able to provide some control signal to discharge or charge in some way, that is not technology that is anywhere near out of our reach. Um, you know, we can aggregate distributed resources and bring the control and the information together to use for grid reliability. We can also use it for more localized uh, problems. It will take a while to get there. There's a huge investment in infrastructure that has to happen to make the entire grid uh, a smarter grid to bring information and sensing and control technology uh, to the grid to help make that happen. Um, I, I think that, you know, that is clearly a place that we're going to go. And I think Seth highlighted it as well. The, the ability to bring information together to run the grid in a different way is an absolute requirement for us to get where we're going to go. I think distributed storage in vehicles, distributed storage um, in homes or places of business is uh, clearly an option. I also think when we step back and think about the economics of that, um, you know, it'll compete against larger storage as well. Um, you know, At the end of the day, we, we built a grid that uh, transports electricity from low-cost central generation facilities that are world-scale, that can produce and gather economies of scale, and we can transport it reliably and efficiently over the wires. So that model, I think, will still remain um, for both storage and generation, but it'll also be complemented by those distributed resources.